the bad actor may leave the company and may leave the company with prior bonuses or vested share benefits intact. It may be with a settlement that that's what gets negotiated. But the termination of this bad actor now is going to have to include some kind of clawback and some kind of punishment with regard to deferred compensation systems. And your company policies are going to have to incorporate more protections and more discretion for the company to pull back on benefits to bad actors. And bad actors here, I mean, not just the actual, let's say, bribe payer or scheme designer, but also those people who fail to conduct proper oversight and monitoring of the department that engaged in the misconduct. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello there. This is episode 262, DOJ's New Compliance Frontier, Incentives and Disincentives. Michael Volkoff here. It's great to see you all. I wanted to get to this issue because the new frontier is a little overblown, but I wanted to just underscore the importance of some of the current focus by DOJ on clawbacks, deferred payment schemes, and a look at incentive structures and disincentive structures related to compensation systems. This may sound like, you know, a real minute issue, but it really isn't because there's been a long history here of incentives and disincentives. We've seen scandals like Wells Fargo. We've seen responses like Novartis in the Novartis bonus structure where no bonuses were available unless executives had complied with compliance requirements. So we've seen that. And DOJ has sort of opened up a new area of inquiry. It's just at the beginning stages, really, and we're waiting for more guidance. But we've already seen some actions in the Dansk Bank case, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, too. So some were surprised by the recent move by the Justice Department in focusing on the importance of incentives and disincentives as an important part of an effective ethics and compliance program. Others, however, have been waiting for years for this to occur. To these compliance professionals, DOJ was finally arriving, although a little late to the game. But if we take a step back, this issue, like I said, is nothing new, although the emphasis and creative expansion of the tool to address compliance behavior is a new and welcome addition to the chief compliance officer's toolbox. Now, in its infancy of this issue, DOJ would stress the need for compliance professionals to create positive incentives for ethical conduct, including awards, you know, ethics awards, annual employee performance reviews, which included ethics and compliance as a component of your annual review, but also other carrots that are offered to officers and employees. At the same time, though, companies already focused on a strong disincentive, which was if you engage in misconduct, you'll be terminated. But as time went on, however, those tools in the toolbox are, let's just say, less effective. They're sort of stronger motivational forces or tools were needed. And perhaps two significant enforcement actions that I just mentioned to you, Novartis and Wells Fargo, 
underscored this gap in the incentive-disincentive framework. It's sort of the, the exaggerated ends here. But now we've got to look at the issue of clawbacks and deferred payment schemes and who should be accountable and for how much. I mean, the Justice Department did not just willy-nilly announce its embrace of clawbacks and deferred payment compensation punishment as a remediation tool for companies that suffer an enforcement action and settle. To the contrary, DOJ has been examining this issue, even citing it in important policy spheres and enforcement actions as an important tool that they needed to look at. And I think one of the key issues was that there were some comments that were coming back that these large penalties, hundreds of million dollar penalties, all they do is punish the shareholders. The wrongdoer gets fired. But nonetheless, there are other people who could have stepped in, who could have stopped in the organization, who may have had supervisory responsibilities but failed to act. So DOJ and the SEC have been weighing these issues under the rubric of remediation. They've evaluated, for example, disciplinary actions for those directly involved in the misconduct and even those who may not have been directly involved but were indirectly responsible for oversight and monitoring of the various actors. What is new and exciting is the extent to which DOJ is now open to examine the efficacy of these measures as an important alternative to massive criminal fines against companies that do ultimately punish shareholders without holding accountable not just the bad actors, but those who had supervisory responsibilities and failed to act in the face of, let's say, red flags. We also see with the bad actor, the bad actor may leave the company and may leave the company with prior bonuses or vested share benefits intact. It may be with a settlement that that's what gets negotiated. But the termination of this bad actor now is going to have to include some kind of clawback and some kind of punishment with regard to deferred compensation systems. And your company policies are going to have to incorporate more protections and more discretion for the company to pull back on benefits to bad actors. And bad actors here, I mean, not just the actual, let's say, bribe payer or scheme designer, but also those people who fail to conduct proper oversight and monitoring of the department that engaged in the misconduct. This latter category is where we get into nuanced determinations as to the extent to which a manager or executive should be held accountable, particularly if termination is not required. In this situation, a company may have to impose real financial penalties for such oversight monitoring failures and make sure these penalties adequately punish the wrongdoer with regard to oversight. So this is a delicate balance here of incentives and disincentives have to be crafted in line with the individual motivations and the anticipated or predicted behaviors. So it's important to recall that a compliance-oriented compensation system has to be implemented along with other clawback and deferred payment systems. So for example, the SEC just announced its new clawback regulations governing accountability for executives in situations where companies have to restate corporate earnings. The regulatory regime is limited to senior executives, but it's a no-fault type of punishment that occurs, that the company has to have some kind of clawback for any time there's a restatement of earnings, whether or not the executive was aware of it. 
And so what they're trying to do is incentivize the behavior and the accuracy regarding financial reporting. So now, in terms of looking at your compensation program from a compliance standpoint, we have to take into account the SEC rule with regard to financial reporting. But now we want to begin this process to look at what are the appropriate incentives and disincentives when there is misconduct, let's say bribery or whatever that may occur within the company and the appropriate amount of supervisory responsibility and accountability. So right now, even though we're waiting for more guidance as to this, and we'll get to the dance bank language that occurred, there are a number of ways to look at this. And we have to determine, first off, how far is our compliance compensation program, which uses clawbacks and deferred vesting or compensation systems? Is it going to apply to directors, officers? Yes. Senior executives? Yes. But senior managers, and that's going to be an important issue. How should the clawback problem program be defined and how would it be triggered? How much of the company's bonus payments should be subject to clawback? How will the company distinguish between bad actors and those that fail to monitor and supervise effectively? And how much of a clawback should be imposed for failures to monitor and supervise? Same goes with regard to stock benefit vesting programs or other retirement-type systems. Now, DOJ's decision to examine this, which is not complete yet, does not mean that companies shouldn't begin this process now because it's going to take coordination with HR, with the senior management, and ultimately with the board in terms of to put in place some kind of compliance compensation system. And DOJ is in the process of consulting and coming up with more guidance, but they really want to see some work beginning in this. And the crafting of these measures is basically going to require this collaborative process to occur within each company. Legal and business representatives, human resources, ethics and compliance, and obviously senior management. And in some cases, union representatives, particularly in European countries and work councils, may need to be included as well. But DOJ has made it clear, at least preliminarily, that it anticipates requiring a wide clawback program sufficient to maximize effective coverage of not only bad actors at the executive level, but even at the senior management level. The interesting issue is going to be what additional measures DOJ is going to consider here and how it's going to extend compliance compensations to dig into and have an impact on stock and benefit vesting programs and looking at other corporate benefits that may be offered. Some companies, for example, offer employees access to low-cost financing, educational benefits, in-kind receipt of goods and services, as well as other specific compensation systems. So how are those going to be taken into account in terms of benefits and availability or clawbacks involving bad actors? So the possibilities of this type of program can extend quite broadly across a number of compensation and benefit programs that go on. So the Justice Department, and I mentioned earlier that Dansk Bank has now become the first step in implementation of this compliance compensation requirement. No other settlement yet has included specific language on this issue, but the Dansk Bank did. The settlement involving Glencore did not 
ABB, FCPA, and Honeywell did not. Here, though, with little fanfare, the Dance Bank $2 billion settlement with the Justice Department includes an additional provision in its settlement papers outlining the new requirement. And it includes a provision that I think we're going to see used more often. And it was in, and you can track these usually by looking at what's called Schedule C to any settlement. That includes the compliance expectations and requirements for remediation by a bad actor. And I'm going to just read the language that's included in the Dance Bank settlement, and it's very instructive. The bank, and this is quote unquote, the bank will implement evaluation criteria related to compliance in its executive review and bonus system so that each bank executive is evaluated on what the executive has done to ensure that the executive's business or department is in compliance with the compliance programs and applicable laws and regulations. A failing score in compliance will make the executive ineligible for any bonus for that year. The bank will include in its evaluation criteria and bonus system provisions that allow the bank to implement measures to incentivize future compliant behavior and discipline executives for conduct occurring after the filing of this agreement, the settlement, that is later determined to have, and this is important language, contributed to future compliance failures subject to applicable law. So this provision, and I tried to emphasize the parts that are really interesting here, the provision includes three significant requirements that companies will need to address. First, the coverage of the provision is limited to evaluation criteria in its executive review and bonus system. Senior managers that do not fall under the executive category, and that's in quotes, appear to be exempt. So we have the first indication that DOJ is not going to just blanket senior management, but if the senior manager is treated as an executive within the corporate governance system, they will be covered. Second, the requirement focuses on an evaluation of, quote, what the executive has done to ensure that the executive's business or department is in compliance, close quote. Now, the interesting part of this language is it imposes an affirmative requirement on the actions not inactions, but the actions of the executive to ensure compliance. What precisely did the executive do and how did they do it? Third, the bank is required to make the executive, quote, ineligible for any bonus year if the executive receives a failing score. The language indicates that the evaluation must be conducted annually and bar the executive of any bonus when the executive receives a failing score, any bonus. Finally, DOJ's intent is confirmed, and perhaps this is the most important point, in the broad language applying the penalty to, quote, discipline executives for conduct that has contributed to compliance failure. This language defines potential accountability to situations in which an executive has not only engaged in misconduct, but here's your answer, about oversight and monitoring failures of persons supervised by the executive. Did they contribute or their failure to act contribute in some way to the overall compliance failure? And that gets at root cause analysis. That gets at who 
was overseeing this, who missed the red flags, who ignored the red flags, whatever. This makes it clear that DOJ's expectations are clear now. Companies have to design and implement compensation systems that restrict executive bonuses in response to misconduct and oversight failures. In practice, companies need to formulate appropriate policies and procedures, document their system, and demonstrate commitment to enforcement of the policies to incentivize compliance behavior and create clear disincentives for non-compliant conduct. I cannot emphasize this anymore. Compensation, compliance compensation systems have to be designed and implemented for a company to have a quote-unquote effective ethics and compliance program. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll see you next week with another episode. All the best to everybody and hope everything is going well. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com.